Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Trees can be both beautiful and at the same time ominous. I expect that I am not alone in cherishing a wooded hillside, a shaded yard, or a blooming orchard. Somehow the peaceful serenity of a snowy afternoon is just a little bit more surreal in the middle of a cedar grove than in the middle of an open prairie. Trees provide protection from the wind for many a farmstead and ranch house throughout middle America. Offer homes to birds, bees, and even the squirrels that love to run all over the roof above my church office. (laughs) Trees can even prove to be an excellent jungle gym for kids throughout our neighborhood in the case of the maple in front of the parsonage. This is similar to how trees across the street from the house where I grew up proved to be excellent spots for all the forts that we would build while letting our imaginations run wild. Trees provided shade over the rock where I asked my wife to marry me as the water fell beside us, providing a proverbial protection for our lifelong union together. Trees can be truly beautiful and wonderful. At the same time, trees can prove to be quite ominous. It still pains me to drive around the west side of Flathead Lake and see the destruction of the fire that ripped through the woods around Elmo last summer, or see the charred columns around Finley Point from the summer before on the east side. Those trees proved to be torches that unleashed, unleashed their destructive potential in catastrophic ways. A massive tree branch, branch fell from one of the old oaks in my late grandparents' yard and sent my grandfather to the hospital for over a month. The beauty of that big old tree became tragic in an instant, forever altering my grandpa's life until the day he died. Trees can also be incredibly ominous and dangerous. All of these aspects are encapsulated with cosmic significance in the tree that we heard about from our reading from Genesis for this week, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's right there in the title. Good and evil existed side by side in that one tree in the middle of the garden. Its beauty was so alluring that it took very little for the serpent to convince the woman to disobey the Lord's command and indulge of its fruit. That tree contained great evil beneath its beautiful veneer, or beneath the beautiful veneer of its blooming fruit. One bite from its bounty would mark the demise of all humankind. The serpent convinced the woman to indulge in not one bite, but two. She was convinced to give it to the man as well. She ate. He ate. Together their eyes were open, and together their relationship with the Creator was forever broken. 
No longer were they protected by the trees that formed the boundaries of their paradisical home. Now, emboldened with the knowledge of good and evil, they had to forgo the protection of the trees to navigate the world alone with their newly found independence and enlightenment. The beauty and tragedy of that tree cannot be overstated. It was so enticing in the moment that it could not be denied. More than that, though, it still comes down to us as a tantalizing pillar of our spiritual and biblical past. I imagine that there are more than just a few who are grateful, actually grateful that our primal ancestors would choose knowledge, awareness, and enlightenment over ignorant bliss. For many, the idea of living solely under the Lord's protection and providence while not being able to think or provide for ourselves is anathema. It is almost as though they cannot imagine paradise without the freedom that comes with not only knowledge of the good, but also knowledge of evil. I have no doubt that some would say that Adam and Eve should have eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No matter what, come hell or high water, even to the point of death, they should have done it if it meant that they could live with the veil lifted from their eyes. For some, no amount of paradise is worth the ignorance that comes with the bliss. On the other hand, there are others of us who would much prefer to be back in the garden and fully under the Lord's care. The garden provided for all that they needed while all that was expected of them was a simple, unadulterated obedience to, to eat, any, eat any fruit except for just that one. The garden of Eden seems almost like the paradisical heaven that we long for. So imagining that they never got kicked out is as though they never fell from God's holy habitation never fell from that sacred place. I, for one, often wonder what knowledge of evil really gets us. The more we hear in the news about tragedy after tragedy, war after war, violent act after violent act, the less good seems to prosper. Martin Luther believed that we human creatures do have free will to choose between good and evil but that our wills are so corrupted by evil that we only ever choose the bad. The longer I live in the world, the more I am inclined to agree. I lift all this up to say that it all goes together. As famed Montana author Norman McLean said in River Runs Through It, eventually all things merge into one and a river runs through it. In the garden, good and evil merge together in one tree. In that same tree, ignorance and bliss ran alongside awareness, hardship, and independence. These were all mashed up into that one cosmic, tempting moment in which the human creatures proved to be ill-equipped to resist. The good and the fruit proved so alluring and tempting 
that it would make them forget the evil entirely. The desire for reason outstripped the desire for comfort. The lust for enlightenment outran the call to obedience. In that instance, good and evil did merge into one, and evil emerged as the victor. And this is the pattern of temptation to this day. Things are not tempting because of the evil that overwhelms, but the good that runs alongside it all. Wars are not started because the instigators believe that they will lose, but because they believe that they will triumph somehow. Crimes are committed because the perpetrators believe that they will gain somehow from others' losses. Lies are told because liars believe that falsehoods will serve them better than the truth, just as those who covet their neighbor's property justify their envy as somehow good. The danger of evil, just like the tree in the garden, is that it presents itself as good and desirable. The good news for this week, though, is that while the one tree proved to be the failure of humanity, there was another tree that became a redemption. A simple Roman cross that was solely intended to perpetuate the evil of an empire was instead transformed into the redemption of the world. The cross under which our Lord was crucified became a symbol of pure goodness in the world. Goodness that cannot be tainted by even death itself. While other trees are both beautiful and ominous, and other crosses prove to only be the latter, the cross on which our Savior met his earthly end became profound goodness for a world that knows only how to choose and perpetuate evil. In the cross, no longer do good and evil run together into one. Now all that remains is the goodness of God and the grace of God that runs through it. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.